1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Oh, just another beautiful paradise. 45 mile an hour winds here today and just about freezing. <laughs> spring is here. Yeah, spring is blowing in. <laughs> um, doesn't sound like... Uh, doesn't sound like much spring weather right now, but it's coming. Oh, yeah. Well, we still have lots of snow in the yard. I mean, there's drifts here that are still three feet deep that it's got to eat through, but uh, hopefully we get a bunch of moisture out of it as well because southern Alberta's already complaining their snow's melted and they don't have enough moisture to plant the crops from our drought last year. Right. So so you need it. You need the oh, moisture, yeah. not, for, not for it to just... Uh, you know, people think lots of snow, that's going to be, you know, that's going to, you know, automatically result in, you know, a ton of water and whatever. But when you guys are super dry and, you know, there's no moisture in the air and all that, like it just blows away. Yeah. And what most people don't consider is that uh, our ground is frozen often three feet thick. So when the snow melts, none of it can absorb. It all runs off. Right. So, you know, we need that to clear the ground to melt, and then we need rains to actually get moisture to stay in the soil. Right, right. Well, folks, we're doing the FA podcast. We're talking to Brad Fenson. If you guys uh, if you guys follow our web series, The Last Pass, or you follow our podcasts, or, my gosh, you look at any recipe we have on our website, it's this guy right here. He is a freelance outdoor writer he is an accomplished i'm gonna say accomplished hunter that sounds so cool and uh <laughs> brad chases everything but we just we just bother him on waterfowl but but man he chases every every critter out there i don't think there's anybody as well-rounded or if you could drop somebody off on an island with whatever kind of animals he'll figure out how to uh shoot them harvest them and cook them so that's 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 my guy <laughs> that's pretty good intro huh <laughs> it is it sounds like a throwback to gilligan's island or something <laughs> hey if we were if we were stranded if we were stranded somewhere i uh 100 i'd be like yep i'll take i'll pick brad that's my pick so <laughs> i'll be stranded there so so yeah so so we're talking uh you know, a lot of the snow season down here is over. Um, there's a little bit left to had, not much, if any. Uh, so everything's going to be making its way across the border, and then you guys are going to start up, and we're going to come up in a little bit and, and chase them. So, you know, I always tell everybody, you know, when, when we're talking snow tactics or we're, you know, we're trying to chase snows, you know, I always say I've probably learned, or I shouldn't even say probably, I absolutely have learned everything about snows up there with you uh, chasing them. Just, just everything about it. So uh, when when I talk about that, I always say, yeah, listen, I, I I figured this out, and the only way I figured it out is I watched Brad, and when we were 
chasing them and this worked and then this didn't work. So, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, is the main thing that always comes into play. Obviously you have your scouting, you know, and trying to find, you know, where they're going. Obviously that's in every waterfowl scenario. You know, you got to be where they want to be. But then once that happens or you're even in the area where they're trading, because at, at this point in spring, there's giant numbers. This isn't like you're, you know, you're targeting 300 honkers. Like this is, you know, this could be anywhere from five, ten thousand 10,000 to 30, 40,000, you know. So decoy spreads, when you're, when you're thinking about putting out, you know, like a giant sock spread or even a, even a, a full body spread kind of walk, walk the folks through that. Because like I said, that's where I've learned the most is, is, is on the decoys and, and setting. Yeah. And it really depends what you spot and how you're going to hunt it. Uh, these birds are in big flocks. Most of the time, if we pick a, uh, a spring hunt, we got at least 10,000 birds to work and we put out long strings of decoys and what that does is it's it's two things. It's confidence for the incoming birds that there's lots on the ground, and they use them like runways. They slowly lose elevation as they come over what's on the ground to try to get to the head of the flock. Right. Spreading them out and pushing them out to the sides also is very indicative of snow geese. 10,000 of them feeding through a field. You don't want to follow all your buddies. You want to slowly move out to the side because there's no food behind everyone else. That's right. So... You know, having those decoys, spreading them out, and really stretching them out uh, downwind is key. And when I say really stretching them out, if you are in a mile-long field, you can put some of those decoys half a mile away. It's not like Canada's where they're going to fall in on that front edge of the decoys. They're going to bypass all that and go right to the front of the chow line. So, you know, that's a really important consideration there are other ways to hunt them, though, too. I mean, one of my favorite hunts of all time, we, we had a a full section of birds. I don't know how many were in there, tens of thousands. And um, there were several fields uh, just off the edge of it that had some sheet water, you know, standing water in the oh, spring. Yeah. And every time we looked at that field, there was always birds in that sheet water. Yep. So, you know, we put out 50 full bodies and got on that sheet water and lay out blinds and shot our limits of birds because everything going to the big field where the tens of thousands were had to fly over that. And there was always a bird or two interested in stopping in for a drink. And, yep. uh, you know, who knows what they're thinking, but that works very effectively. So those are two scenarios where you might have a handful of decoys, you know, four or five dozen, or where you're going to go after the masses where you need numbers and stretch them out and build confidence and build a runway and do all the things that uh, give confidence to a bird that has now been hunted for, what, eight months? <laughs> yeah, for a year, right? Yeah. I mean, the sheet water thing is a huge thing because I I, I 100% agree on that. And, and the thing that I dream about is, you know, exactly what you said, is us being pushed in the grass <clears throat> in some layouts and, you know, a couple dozen full-body snows and a couple blues mixed in and, you know, just trading back and forth and birds just sucking in. And, and at that point, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the electronic callers. It's not a bunch of noise. It's probably one or two guys on some calls. If that, 
just just getting their attention and then all of a sudden they just like you said want to drink and just pour in mm-hmm. and and you know you're you're taking these birds you know right in your face and you know that's that's the thing i if we can if we can find something like that this spring i i'm i'm so all over that because that is so you know that's the ultimate right there i mean obviously being on the big grind and pounding numbers is cool but you know when you're catching them in a situation like that i mean i don't think there's anything better than 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 that no there isn't i mean it's absolutely wonderful it's very i'll call it intimate you have a couple buddies yep. you're in there a lot of decoys uh it works when you have those big numbers and you know where they're roosting and the fields that they're going to bounce through during the day and you just get on the flight line and sit there and it's amazing how the birds just whiff a lot of those uh high flocks and just come in you know some of those small water shoots that we've had it's like a shootable bird every yep. minute yep. you just you know pound away pound away pound away and those that's uh a pretty enjoyable way to shoot waterfowl. It's very productive, and everyone gets lots of shooting. You know who's shooting. Yep. And uh, not like lining up with ten guys. Know. You know, a thousand birds come over. Everyone empties their gun, and it's like who shot what? There's, you know, <laughs> I know, I know. You, you don't say they rain out. They're snowing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other the other thing on that too is you know it could be it doesn't have to be like an early morning shoot on on the water you know it could be a it could be a mid morning into the afternoon or it could be a straight afternoon i mean it it necessarily doesn't mean like we're up at o dark 30 and going you know what i mean it, it it's that too so there's you know obviously if you know what they're doing and know when they're hitting it you know they got to get to the fields and start feeding first so by the time they do that and then they start thinking about well you know i i just choked as much you know, barley or peas or whatever's left down my throat, I got to go get something to drink, you know, or, you know, there's food running out in this field because, you know, there's 30,000 in it. I'm, I'm going to look for something else. So it, it could turn into that too, which is cool. Absolutely. And, you know, you got to keep in mind that uh, we're at the Northern extent of the range when they migrate and still have food. When they leave here, they have to fly over the boreal forest. Yep and then the tundra, and get to the coastline or up into the islands. And there is no groceries from here to there. So they stage here, they mill, they really uh, start to feed and fill up. And that uh, does two things. We have fresh birds coming in all the time. You might be watching 20,000 birds bounce between these fields, and all of a sudden that night 5,000 new ones come in. And as you know from our previous experiences, if you're going out, the days are long, but you can sleep in your blind you never know when that next flock is going to decoy in on you. And to this day, I still think my most memorable moment in a spring snow goose blind <laughs> was when we finished 300 adult snow geese. We had them circle four times. Some were landing at our feet yep. and we sat up and emptied our guns. And, you know, I, I know exactly what hunt you're talking about it was me, you and Josh and Timmy, I think. Yeah. And it was like quarter after 12, yep. like noon, everyone yes, else was. was packed up and gone home. We were just sitting there soaking up some spring sun, enjoying yep. it, and this flock of birds came, you know, um, out of nowhere, basically. Yep. Saw the decoys, and it was just like a beeline. It was like, yahoo, it's grocery time. Well, I remember, <laughs> what I remember about that is talking on the second swing and then going into the third swing, like, should we should we shoot them here? Because it was, it was to the point where, like, holy crap, like, like I – there's no way there's no way they're going to make another swing and come in because I know you and I were going back and forth on the third swing like should we do it I don't know should we do it 
Oh, I don't know. And then, of course, you and I are very greedy. Like, we want them feet down, like, right in. So we're like, oh, no, let's wait, let's wait. And then I'm thinking to myself, and I know you were thinking the same thing, are we going to be kicking ourselves in the ass because they they now made the third swing and now they're going to booger out? And and sure enough, they make one more turn. And like you said, all of a sudden, I'm, like, you know, scratching my eyes like there's adult snows, like, right, right in front of us, feet down, and we just – you know, start start peeling them out. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. That was. You know, it, it's very typical, too, if you watch those birds, especially in the smaller groups, uh, they'll circle three, four, or five times, uh, especially if there's not a huge concentration of birds on the ground. And that particular hunt, we were pretty early in the spring because yeah. uh, we had trouble getting our decoys into the ground. The ground was still frozen, and some of them were at kind of an angle, so we didn't have out as many as we normally do. And we had had a, a wind shift that morning, so we had just finished getting up and moving a bunch of decoys to make a, you know, a significant change in the runway. And boy, it paid off big time in the first flock that showed up. Well, well, and if you remember as well, that whole that whole week of springs was muddy, and we were we were humping everything into the field. I know you remember that because everybody oh, yeah. was putting a, a, a bag of socks on their back and and carrying their gun and and everything else and we were humping everything in so you know and that listen that's a <clears throat> that's another thing that's a, you know that's a pain when you're trying to get you know 2,000 socks or you're trying to get full bodies or you're trying to take silhouettes in like that comes into play when when you you know figure out what field you're getting into I mean don't you know, don't show up and think you're just going to drive the trailer in because, you know, spring could be a a very fickle individual. <laughs> yeah, driving the trailer in up here is a rare occasion. It yes. has to be an extremely dry year. The yep. previous year, uh, conditions have to be right. Uh, you know, we've got sleds and trailers yep. and uh, decoys and packs, and yep. we're prepared for it because... You either prepare or you don't go, and we're yep. not going to mess out. So we have the equipment ready. You know, some landowners will let you go on with a quad or something where you have a very low footprint. Sure. But, uh, you know, there's lots of concerns about weeds and, and ruts in the field. So, That's right. Or getting uh, stuck. If there are concerns, instead of losing the hunt, we just buck it up and go. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So so going back to, <clears throat> going back to the decoy sets, you know, the the really key thing to take out of this is, like you said, they the snows are 100% focused on the food when they hit the ground. So, you know, when you're stringing decoys out, like you said, in a long line, say winds at our back and you're just stringing them out in front of us, basically you're just giving them a runway to come up that slot because they want to get to the head. Because they want, is, they want to get ahead of the front of all the yep. decoys in yep. front of the flock on the ground, yep. which, you know, it's, it's hard for people to understand, but that's the opposite of hunting Canada and yep. sex and ducks. Yep. They, yep. they want to land in front because they want the security. Yes. Snow geese want to be ahead because they'd rather have food than security. Yes. Yeah, they want that. Food's on their mind. So, so when we when we always set up, you know, we're always putting that, that mob at the head at the top of the you know at the top of the spread <clears throat> and you know whether we're in uh whether we're in all whites or we're doing the uh 
the blinds, the layouts with the snow covers, and we're just like we have an absolute mob of white at the top, and you could see it too. Like you, you run the drone over, you 100% know where the biggest concentration is, and that's what they're seeing, and that's where you know that's where we'll put our flyers as well. You know, we'll stick them up at the at the back right there, just right behind us, because that's like the that's the last group coming in that these birds are seeing that are going to get ahead of the group. And that just, I think that seals the deal right there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the, you got to think like a snow goose yep. that has 10,000 friends feeding in front of it. So that's why it works. They want to be at the front of the chow line. And uh, the mob is there because there's, they, they leapfrog continually. The, the birds from the back of the pack leapfrog forward and go to the front so it's not like we're creating a mob of decoys just to hide in. It makes a perfect hide. But if you watch birds on the ground when you're spotting, you'll see that that leading edge is always very dense. There's more birds per square foot than anywhere else. Right. And that's just because they're fighting for the, the, the best groceries and they want to get to the front of the line. And from there, they start to walk out from the group. Yeah. You know, so and, and, and build further ahead as new ones fly up and leapfrog in. And so like, understanding how they feed and why they do that uh, allows you to set up, you know, to be successful. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go wide as well, because it's not like everybody is just, you know, like, listen, if they were handing out free money and we were in a group of a thousand people and there was a bunch of people handing it out, like you would not just stand in line and watch everybody else you know, get money, you would fan out to the sides and find somebody, you know, handing it out. So, so like you said, don't be afraid to go wide because I mean, these birds are 100% focused on food and they are just like, I, I say it all the time because, you know, the cacklers down here, I mean, because they feed the same, it is like start the lawnmower and they are just, you know, mowing. So, they are going exactly where the food is. And, and when they get into that zone, it's almost like, you know, I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like a turkey when he, you know, a, a big Tom, when he gets locked in on a Jake decoy or whatever, when there's a hen and a Jake decoy and, and like, you're thinking to yourself, man, I could get out of this stand up blind. You know, I could get out of the blind and I could probably grab him by the neck. Cause I'm about 10 feet away. Cause he is so focused. I, I think they get so focused on it. They just, like they got tunnel vision. You know, it's interesting you bring up the width of the spread. And uh, over the years, uh, I have varied mine, and not for any other reason but to control wind. So if you have a very windy day, which is quite common in the spring, yep. uh, those birds fight that wind. But what will happen is if the wind blows them off course and they get outside of the decoy spread, they're going to circle around or break off. Yep. So on a windy day, I go nice and wide and create a really big bulb or a bulge at the front end. You know, some of my buddies have said, whoa, 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 you're putting the decoys way too out on the far on the side. They're going to land up there. No, they're not. They're going to go to the head of the pack. But bulging that decoy spread allows the wind to push them over 30 or 40 yards, and they're still over top of decoy, so they're going to try to pull back to center. If that wind pushes them outside of the decoys, you'll see them. They'll just open their wings and out they go, and then they start all over again. So a wide spread is really good on windy days, and a narrow spread is magic on those calm days when it's hard to get them in and they're looking real hard. 
you narrow it up, you've got decoys that are more dense, and when the birds are looking through it, it's harder to pick out white suits or hunters or blinds, and it's a straight line to where you want them to come. So, again, a strategy in terms of controlling the wind, how wide you're going to go. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great tip right there. There's no no doubt about it. We're talking to Brad Fenson, who's up in Canada, up in Alberta. We go up there all the time. Uh, in the fall, in the spring, uh, we use his recipes. He's everywhere on the FA channels and uh, social media and our website and everything else. I mean, he is, w- without a doubt, a, a friend of the family, let's call it. And uh, if we were in the mob, that would be a friend <laughs> of the family. So uh, so one of the other things you were, you were talking about is, is the wind. And, you know, listen, if you if you chase the snows, there's no doubt the friend is your the wind is your friend. So, you know, when you're when you're chasing them, when you're scouting, when you're doing that, obviously we would prefer windy days than no wind. So if you can pick your days and and, you know, look at it, definitely try to use that as an advantage. Um, You know, it's like. You know, when we were when we were over in Saskatchewan for cranes, remember it was the one hundred percent opposite. Remember, it was like it was like no, no, we 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 want the birds like low on the deck and coming out, and you know the wind will push them up high, and we're like, you and I were like, what? <laughs> we were we were like lost, you know. So so. uh the wind here is 100% like your your friend on the snows. You got to uh you got to use it to your advantage and like you said line the decoys up as long as you need to in the field and give them a long runway if it's especially if it's windy. You know, they'll follow that line and they just keep coming and hopefully like you said they just keep getting lower and lower and then just keep coming. Absolutely. And you know what? There's not a bad day to go. You just have to manage your decoys and your spread. Like yep. I said, um, you know, we had we had days last year when we were out and we had a 45-mile-an-hour wind. It was just ripping. Yeah. And uh, the first thing I did is I told everyone when the wind picked up is, let's get out. We have to move all the decoys. And they're like, yeah. what? And then we restaked them at an extreme angle into the wind. What it does is it closes the mouth of the, the sock, basically and sets the bottom end of it on the stubble. So you stake it in there so that it can't blow out, won't disappear across the field, but you cut off the the wind into it, or at least the majority of it, and put the bottom of the sock on the ground, and it took all all the flap out of it. Uh, If you stake them straight up on a real windy day, it makes so much noise like a flag ripping in the wind, except you've got, you know, 700 of them ripping in the wind that it'll actually flare birds. So... You know, you don't need full bodies. Um, if you have them, great. But if not, you can use those socks and stuff by staking them at a steep angle into the ground. Of course, silhouettes don't uh, work great, especially if the ground's frozen. Right. You know, they'll work good if you put them faced into the wind, but if you put them perpendicular, they're they're pretty hard to control the wind. So the socks are great. I mean, those FA socks that we use have a smaller stake in them. They yep. go in easy. Yep. Uh, just change the angle. You know, if you want more wind on a calm day, put them straight up and down. If you need to angle them to reduce the wind that goes into them, uh, think ahead, look at the forecast, uh, make sure you make those adjustments. Well, and we've, we've, you know, we got everything 
and we use everything. You know, we got silhouettes, we got full bodies, we got the socks, we got flyers. I mean, we don't mess around. Like, we go for it. You made your own e-collar with, with giant speakers. And I mean, but, uh, and let's get that to that too. I mean, there was, there was days when, and, and this I remember, um, we had some big groups and we needed the e-collar and then it seemed like the the threes and fours and singles and just were flaring off us even even when we jacked the the e-collar all the way down you know just to like a you know a murmur where they're just feeding on the ground and then we just went to like you know mouth calls obviously just a hand call and just calling and that made a difference so you really have to watch the the e-collar volume and you know if it, especially if it's dead calm i mean there's a there's i mean there's a lot going into all this you know we 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 you just did all the decoys and maybe you got to change with the wind and now you got to like okay birds are coming and now you really need to concentrate on the e-collar you know what i mean so you got to be on guard 24/7 in that deal absolutely and you got to watch the volume for sure yeah. um the biggest mistake in our country, because I have not much experience through the states when the birds are coming up, uh, is hitting them with too much noise. I think that they've heard so many e-callers and they're sensitive to the the actual volume, the tone, any anything that's not right. You know, it's like us. We we listen to somebody. We we can pick up an accent in their voice or something. I, I think e-callers sound a little bit different to the birds if they're too loud. If you got birds at a distance, they're not decoying, you can turn it up. And if they turn towards you, turn it back down. And here's the thing that I've noticed is some of our most successful days on big hunts, we've got the collar on a very low number. Yep. It's very low. But when you have those big flocks of incoming birds, they make up for it. They make so much racket that they would drown you out anyways. And that excited chatter, that natural chatter of the birds is what finishes them and makes them work. They are basically calling themselves in. And when I say that, you know, lots of time those birds are spread out for a mile, mile and a half. They make a heck of a racket. And as they <laughs> yeah. start to spin, that racket just creates excitement. And sometimes it's letting them do the work for you. Yeah, I mean, how many, you know, I mean, I mean, you've been down here and seen the cacklers. And, and I've said the same thing a hundred times on, on so many cackler hunts. And everybody's like calling and whatever. And there's, you know, a thousand birds like spinning. And I'm like... Like, what do you, like, don't even bother. Like, why bother? They cannot hear you. Like, you have to, you have to think like, okay, so, okay, so a pile of snows is coming at us, right? Say there's a thousand and that's, you know, that's not even a big number, but all of a sudden everybody's making noise. They're flying, they're flapping wings. They're in the air. The wind's cutting them. I mean, how much do you think they're going to hear us? Like, really? <laughs> so Yeah, they definitely hear each other right right i mean they could they could barely hear themselves in that group you know so but i i i am 100 on board with that i i think the um i i think i i know and this might sound crazy but and there's all the snow goose calls out there and all the sounds but i still think the lower sounds on a lower volume sound better because I think it's a, and to me coming from like, you know, a musical background, let's call it like the pitch. When you turn the collar up high, the pitch totally changes. And I don't think that's the right pitch. 
and some if your speakers can't handle it it it's worse you get like um you get like a super tinny super treble high sound and it doesn't sound right so so you know if you don't have great equipment too that can handle that like you can't run that high so so not only does you know is it too much noise and too loud but the pitch and everything like you said they're used to hearing like it's off it's off in the right sound you got to remember if you listen to them and we've obviously spent days listening to them uh the content birds are lower noises and softer you know they're busy feeding and stuff so it's content and that's uh, basically what you want to sound like if they're alarmed is when they make those loud peeps and you know everyone's heard it they they start to peep 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 because they something's alarmed them and they're heading up and out so i think that you're right you you put the e-collar on those content gentle um low volume sounds but when you get those small groups of birds singles doubles maybe three or five you know, a, a hand call can be magic because all of a sudden you can talk to them one-on-one and forget about just the e-call. If you want more success, have somebody there that knows how to talk snow goose and have a conversation. It usually finishes the birds without a lot of circling. There's no doubt. We, we watched it. We watched it happen on a bunch of spring hunts where we've totally jacked down the call and just, you know, on the e-collar and then just centered up the singles and the doubles. And they, like you said, they just ate it up because there wasn't, there wasn't just like, there wasn't just like a group of people all chattering at each other. Let's call it. There was somebody in the group talking to that snow and he was like, Oh, okay. You know, and now you're having a conversation with that snow or that pair and, and they just, man, they eat it right up. So there is definitely a lot to watch, you know, not only on the decoy side, but I 100% say on the calling side as well. So, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's huge. Those, those two things, I mean, the only other thing to, to, to really be conscious of, and we've done it a, a several different ways, is... You know, how are you going to hide in the spread? You know, are we are we fortunate to have like a little bit of a edge row where we could put the layout blinds in and the, you know, maybe there's a little brush, just a just a little bit of scrub and we could run the decoys right up through it and then behind it as well. Like, so there's not that much brush or are we just going straight white bibs and, and white hoodies and in the snows with like a backrest? Like, so you know there's several different ways to chase them so you just got to see what they're doing like like you said i'm just praying that we find some sheet water when we come up <laughs> because i'm so ready for that <laughs> yeah at least a one or two of those because those can be magic and oh. the places where you can sit all day and you're up early but you can sleep in the field especially if the sun's out it just feels good to be out there you know and you make a good point about uh, location and hide most of our birds, by the time they get up here, they're scared of the edges. They don't want to go anywhere near a fence line or yep. a tree line. Yep. Like you'll, you'll see them. They'll intentionally swing out into a field to be out in the middle. So as you know, we're often walking out two, three, four hundred yards and setting up a, a long ways away from any natural cover. Yep. And uh, those whites work perfect. You know, just. Uh, uh, make sure you take things to hide anything that's going to stand out. So. Whether that's your right. decoy bags aren't white, 
hide them. Yep. Uh, if you've got a chair or something, you know, I went to, to the store and bought a couple triple extra large T-shirts that were like six bucks, and you yep. can pull them over your chair, and if you get up to go do something, it still looks white. Your chair is Yep. You know, so all kinds of little things just to make sure that uh, everything's covered and everything's white. And if you're hiding ammo bags, again, you can put a jacket over it. You can uh, have different decoys you can put over different things just to make sure that everything blends. As you know, we've been caught a couple times where somebody's <laughs> up moving decoys or going to get a long flyer bird. Yep. And all of a sudden their blind or chair or something is open and it sticks out and you're done. The rest of the birds aren't coming in. So uh, think about those scenarios ahead of time and make sure you cover up. So I still like the lights the best. It uh, allows you to be mobile in the spring. Our our weather conditions change a lot. The wind direction changes. It allows you to move within the spread, uh, be mobile, uh, just uh, make changes on the fly more or less. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, listen. If we're if we're humping it all in, there's less to carry. Do you know what I mean? Like, like let's talk about yeah. that too, because you know we we've we've done that over and over and over. So I mean, the less the less we got to carry in, because okay, say, you know, say we do get into them. Now we're packing all that stuff out. Now we're definitely making two trips, which is fine at the end of the day, because you know, well, you're beat on one hand, but you know, if you're, if you're packing a bunch of snows out, we're okay with that. You know what I mean? We'll make another, we'll make an extra chip chip, uh, to, uh, you know, carry 50, 7,500 snows out. I'm good with that. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, I recall doing that. I've gone into lots of fields where we've been out six, 700 yards into the field, uh, from our access point. And you shoot 100 or 150 snow geese. That's a lot of trips back and forth just no with doubt. snows. So there's no you know, doubt. I've used uh, uh, bird carriers and stuff, and I, I have carried them out. But I also, over the years, uh, by the time you're doing your second or third trip, sometimes it's easier to drag them out on those on those lines. And again, it's good to have a sleigh or something else I was where just you can sew it up and, and I, pull it a bit easier. I was just going to say the sleds come in like super handy because you could just. I mean, you could pile them up in there until they're as, as heavy as a mule deer and we can get out of there. So, yeah, <laughs> so you can you can put a lot in. Now, you know, we always we always get into this because uh, of a your expertise in this this area. But, you know, folks are always saying like, yeah, I'm, you know, we're, we'll, we're trying to save the tundra and we're just shooting the, the, the snows and then I'm using them for coyote bait or whatever we're doing. But when those birds come back up and they're putting that much fat on, uh, I mean, when you prepare those birds, you know, they are very good. And, and guys always kind of take a shot at the snow geese. You know what I mean? and and call them the sky carp and whatever but i don't know how many times you've made a different you know recipe of snows and i couldn't get enough you know what i mean yeah they're a very delicate bird that are great eating when they come back in the spring off those rice fields out of the south they have a thick layer of white fat on them um you know they're like any other animal when they're going into their breeding season they're in their best condition right uh you know, you hunt uh, elk uh, during the rut. They've had all summer to fatten up. They're in their best condition. They're going in prime. Uh, same with deer. You know, they 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 have the ultimate feed for for months on end before that rut hits when they're going to 
burn stuff off. Geese are a little bit different. They need to be in the ultimate condition because they're going to spend most of their time, especially the females, sitting on the nest and maybe getting off to feed once a day. Right. So lose all those fat reserves very quickly. Right. So but they got to bulk it up. Make them very tasty birds. Anyone that scoffs at snow geese, uh, you know, most of the people up here would say that a snow goose is way better eating than a Canada. Uh, you know, and they're very similar to the specs, and they're considered uh, the king of the sky sort of thing. Right. So if you haven't tried spring snows, give them an honest chance. And if you don't have good recipes or know how to cook them, look up the recipes because no uh, it, it's worth the time and the effort to, to hunt them, to shoot them, to retrieve them, to bring them out, to process all of them, and to, to use them responsibly. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the the thing that I always uh, we always talk about is, you know, the the fat layer that's on the snows like if you're going to pluck any birds and do that you know that fat there's so much fat on them at that point you know what i mean or if you if you cook them and you know you cook them on you know say you throw them on the grill uh you know put a pan underneath it or or have them like that so they you know your that fat is dripping you could use that fat for just about anything which is crazy but you can't you know what i mean so I mean, it's it's like bacon grease. Like it's literally like that. You could use it pretty much for for anything, especially when they're that when they're that chubby and and that thick on that. But there's there's so many different things to do with the snows. You could go, you can go over to our website fabrand.com and look at all the recipes there that Brad has. You can go on to uh, Harvest Your Own, which is uh, is an Alberta. Uh, website and that services you know a lot of Canada but but mostly in Alberta and that's where that's out of and you do a lot of stuff there I mean you could just google you know Brad Fenson and find I don't know how many recipes so you can you can totally do that so there's no excuse to not figure out how to cook them you know absolutely if uh, if you like other forms of waterfowl you're going to like these and yeah. uh, if you have people in your family that are fussy and don't really care for waterfowl there's some recipes there that can make some uh, converts and get people on your side of the decoy spread for eating birds yeah <laughs> and don't forget the legs because i don't know how many times we've had some knockout recipes on the legs uh yeah, the the Korean barbecue goose legs and thighs are still one of our favorite around here. I made them the other night, and the girls were asking why I didn't make more. <laughs> <laughs> I That doesn't surprise me, not one little bit, because if I was there, we would have had to make more because I would have pounded through a pile of them because I do like those. Oh, my God, that is such a good recipe. So there's tons of places to look now. If I mean, you guys are just going to get started in a little bit in Canada and you know we're the awesome thing about canada is you know and you know the history of final approach canada was such and i'm just totally changing gears but we're talking about canada and we're talking about chasing snows and everything that's going on and now they're just about there but the the amount of like love i'll call it for final approach in canada and how it was recognized as a brand you know in its heyday was second to none you know like you couldn't go anywhere i mean it 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 was 
Like it was when you were guiding down here in the States and, and like, you know, if you pulled up and all of a sudden you got out all your final approach eliminator blinds and you, you, you know, you got all your gear out and everybody was like, this guy's serious. Right. In Canada, in Canada, if you had final approach stuff, like you were, you were, you were the boss, you know what I mean? You, you were the key guy because it was top of the line stuff. It lasted and and everybody in Canada had so much love for it. So for us to, we're so excited to come back into Canada, into dealers. Uh, this fall, I mean, you'll probably see it around July, uh, June, July, right into August, right there. You're going to see some major announcements as, as far as us being in uh, Canadian Tire in Calgary at the McLeod Trail store. That's going to be like the hub of it all. And then <clears throat> we are going to have an FA uh, Canada site. So if you're in Ontario, you're in Quebec, you're in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, like wherever you are, you can get stuff that's in Canada, shipped to you in Canada doesn't have to come over the border you don't have to pay duties on it coming from the states like we are stocking a pile of it and i i cannot be more excited to be back in canada for that yeah and you know there's an important message here too mario uh final approach was groundbreaking with waterfowl hunting accessories equipment decoys and everyone remembers those early days and clamored to get the stuff, and it did set you out from the crowd. You have made a significant number of changes to the Final Approach brand that will take it back to its roots that uh, really is worth mentioning to people that they should look at firsthand and pay attention to. Yeah, because, listen, <clears throat> you make a great point. Like, listen, there there was a time, you know, listen, the company, it just is what it is. Like, it's it's a business, it's an industry, like the the brand changed hands a few times and you know things happen you know uh, say it's a say it's a bigger company and they maybe don't have you know and I'm just throwing everything out there I'm not pointing fingers at anybody like say say they just made a couple things at a at a factory that wasn't you know wasn't the best quality and you had a blind that broke or you had some decoys that broke or they didn't they didn't look as good or a a bag like the quality of the bag like listen that stuff happens and it and it did happen you know if you if you go back to our other podcasts where i go through like the whole history of final approach i mean i go from talking about ron latshaw all the way through you know with with you know, talking to Duke Levan who helped and Dave Smith and Don Guthrie and, and, and Fred Zink. And, you know, we talk about, I mean, everybody talked about Tim grounds and I talked to Jeff foils and we go through the whole history and, you know, when it was good and what happened when that section, when it was bad and, and there was factory issues and like, listen, that that's a part of it. I, I get it. And, and the company has since changed hands and, and we got a hold of it in 18 in 2018 and I mean, finally, you know, four years later, you know, we are at the point where I am super confident that we got the brand back to the roots because I was there at the start. You know, I remember, you know, I'm dating myself, but I remember, you know, like pro staffing and doing stuff for Ron Latchaw. Like that was 
that was the start. So this has come full circle. So this isn't like, you know, the blinds or the bags or anything like you had issues with. We are standing behind everything, you know, 100%. And, like, we are waterfowl guys making waterfowl equipment for guys who abuse it and use it because that's what that's what we do. If I use it and it breaks, you know, we're going to change it so it doesn't. And you, you – I mean, listen, you've seen – You've seen the quality change tremendously in what's gone on. So, and I've kept you in the loop as much as anybody. I mean, you've seen it. So, we are really pushing hard. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I brought it up. I mean, yeah. people need to realize that uh, this is not even the old FA. This is something that's even better than that. So, it's going, go, if you're in a store that has it, make sure you pick it up, look at it and handle it and know for yourself uh, what the quality is, what it looks like, and all the rest of it, because it's worth taking note of. Yeah, and if they got questions, they could get on any of our social platforms and hit us up. I mean, me and me and one of the guys in the office, Justin, ends up answering everything. So, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, when you have a question or you send something in or email us, like, literally, it's us. Like, you're not going to, like, a bot or you're not going to a person who knows nothing about waterfowl. I mean, you actually get one of us that, you know, you know, like, say, if you did something or you have an issue or you broke something or something, ha- like, I guarantee you, I've already done that and and or fielded a call and said, here's how to fix it, whatever. Like, we are we are 100% buried in this and you'll get one of us when you reach out to us, so you know we're we're taking things real personal now so and i think that's a huge difference and and hopefully people see that as we you know keep going and growing and everything and and you know listen there's going to be a couple pretty cool things coming for the fall so i'm a little excited about what's coming uh for this year we'll probably have a podcast and jump on like right before everything jumps off in like july to let everybody know what's coming so i'm a little excited about that so every year we're adding stuff and working and working on on new stuff for the falling year so big things are coming so we're we're pretty excited we're pumped so that's and it's waterfowlers making changes to benefit waterfowlers yeah like yeah this isn't about uh just economics or anything else this is revolutionary stuff that's gonna make you stop and think about how you approach things and how you hunt and all the rest of it well you know so as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought of, and, and I explain it uh, a couple different times on a video and some other stuff. So we're, you know, silhouettes have made such a huge comeback. So this just takes me to that easy grab silhouette bag. Me and you, I know exactly where we are. We're, we're in Alberta. We're hunting and we're using silhouettes and we're picking up the silhouettes and we're walking them back to the bag and dumping them in the bag. And I said to you, there's got to be a better way. And then you said, what if we do this? And I said, well, what if we do this? And then the two of us are going back and forth. And then I'm like, okay, as soon as I get home, I'm going to start working on that because I think there's a way that we can make a bag that you don't have to walk back to. And then that's when the easy grab bag comes up and basically you throw it over your shoulder you could bend over and pick up the silhouettes. You could put them out, and it's all like you just walk around and do it. And and everybody like everybody kind of doesn't understand that bag until they watch the video or until they use it, and then they're like, "Oh, that's badass! Like that's 
that's cool. And, you know, that's the, that's the part that's, you know, I, I never know like when we're going to get an idea, you know, here we are in the middle of, you know, September or October or whenever it was. And you and I are just like, Hey, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? Now there's been a lot of times where we come up with some crazy stuff and it never makes it, but there's that one time it makes it and, and it's all worth it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, things like that bag that you're talking about, make it easier for people to pick up a spread uh, without making multiple trips back to a main right. pivot point. Right. But the thing is, it's going to maintain the quality of those decoys and make yeah. sure that they're taken care of from the time you stick them in the ground to the time you pick them up. So there's lots of ingenuity within it and lots of thinking uh, outside the box compared to what we've seen in the past. Yeah, and we're, we're trying to do as much as we can. But listen, that, that stuff doesn't happen unless we're in the field hunting and we're you know, real waterfowl guys and, and chase them as much as everybody else that's buying our gear. You know what I mean? Those, those ideas and all that stuff doesn't happen. Like, you know, and it's not like, you know, it's just, Hey, what if we made this easier? Or if we do this, will it help somebody hide better or this or that? Like, there's just things that come up while you're hunting and grinding that, you know, hopefully if it, if it helps me, and you, I know it's going to help a customer. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. That's the whole, I mean, that was the whole point that, you know, that final approach started and, and companies like that was to help guys have more memories, be more successful, be more comfortable when they're out. I mean, that's, that's it, you know? So. Yes. Be successful as well. You're like, you yeah. know, that's the bottom line is, uh, be efficient, uh, have equipment that's going to last, and uh, find those successes in the field that we all dream of. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Well, cool. We're, we're we just got done talking to Brad Fenson, who's up in Canada. He's a, a outdoor writer. He's a freelancer. He's uh, you could look at, you know, uh, all Brad's social media pages. Uh, you could see him on our Last Pass web series uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, he's all over our F.A. Brand website with recipes, and you can check him out in any magazine. He's got tons of articles and things to learn, and whether you're just chasing waterfowl or you're chasing other animals, he's as well-rounded as could be. Uh, if anybody's got any questions, you could reach out to him or me or anything. Uh, you can go to the, the Harvest Your Own site and social pages in, in Canada, and check that out. I mean, there is just a ton of knowledge and stuff out there. So just get on your phone and go for it, I guess, you know? <laughs> cool. Hey, appreciate all the info. There's always great stuff to learn and great stuff for folks to listen to and, and appreciate you coming on. But it's always a good time, and I can't wait to get up there and chase some spring snows. Anytime. It's great to talk about waterfall hunting at any time. It generates interest and intrigue and brings back lots of great memories. There's Looking no to you getting up here. All right. Can't wait. All right, folks. Appreciate you guys listening. That's the FA uh, website, or that's the FA podcast. If you want to check us out, you can hit us up at fabrand.com on the website or hit us up on our social pages. Appreciate you listening.